Hebrews chapter two, verse one. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. You know, there's some things uh, in church and in the church that if we lost it, it wouldn't bother me at all. Some things if you lose, it just wouldn't bother me. Uh, I mean, wouldn't bother me if we lost the cold and the complacent and the critical. Wouldn't bother me if we lost the doubtful and the dull and the dead. Wouldn't bother me if we lost the former, the formal and the fussers and the fighters. None of that would bother me. But there's some things that you simply cannot afford to lose in the church. There's some things that if we lose them, we'll pay a great price for it. And I know some people feel like, well, you can never go backward. After you get saved, it's all forward. But that's not the truth. It's a lot easier to go backward than it is to go forward. And it's easy if you're not careful to lose ground very quickly. And for time's sake tonight, I'm just going to maybe look at three simple things that we simply cannot afford to lose sight of and to realize the importance of, and not only our church, but any church that proclaims the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, we can't lose our convictions. Now, I preached last Wednesday night that I love numbers, and I told you why I love numbers, because numbers are always the same. It's not that way with words. When I use the word conviction, a lot of definitions came to your mind, and they're all correct. For example, if you use the word conviction as it relates to guilt, but I'm not talking about being guilty. I'm using it in relationship as it's used by definition when you're talking about to hold a firm belief in something. That's what I mean by convictions. And I think that we need to, need to look at our convictions because that really means if you lose your convictions, we lose what we believe. And when I'm dealing with what we believe, I'm talking about the fundamentals of this book we call the Bible. We need to stand on the Word of God. This Bible is the Word of God and we can't afford not to spend our life by looking at what's in the Word of God. Not only do we need to be true to the Bible, but we need to be true to the blood of Jesus Christ and tell people it still takes the blood of Christ to save people of their sins. I remember years ago when I was holding a revival meeting, I preached one night on the blood of Christ. And uh, after I preached that night, there was uh, an individual came up to me and told me, scolded me, said, you made it sound like that all people need to do is come and put their faith in Christ and that his blood takes away sin. And I said, well, that's what I believe. So they got the message right anyway. And uh, they said, that's not what we believe. So I was curious and I said, well, what do you believe at your church? Now, 
they're visiting this church and uh, that I'm at preaching. They said, well, at our church, this is what we do. Said, when we feel the need for someone to be saved, we get out a, a big wash tub and it's full of water. We set it down front and we'll gather around that and we'll pray and we'll pray and we'll pray. And said, when the water starts to move, the first one that jumps in will be washed of their sins. And they said, what do you think of that? And I said, I've got one Greek word for that, baloney. No one's ever been saved by jumping in a wash tub full of water. That would have meant that Christ's death has no meaning. But let's get this right. You cannot be saved without Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed. It is the blood of Christ that cleanseth us from all sin. It's not your works of righteousness. It's not what you have done, what I have done, or what anybody else has done. I hold firm to the belief that it is the blood of Jesus Christ. Someone said, oh, the blood had nothing to do with it. His blood wasn't divine blood, but his blood was divine. His blood was special blood. He didn't know what it was to be shapen in sin and iniquity because his mother was a virgin and he was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. But his blood, even though he was all God and all man, his blood was sufficient to say that's the last sacrifice that God will ever need to take care of the sin problem. And I can stand before you after 45 years of preaching and tell you with all assurance if you're saved and on your way to heaven, it's because the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you of all sin and unrighteousness and without the shedding of blood there is no remission for our sins and we carry the load of sin but because of the blood we're saved. What we believe not only about the time that we look in the word of God and the way that we get to heaven but also the worship that we have for the Lord. I think that we ought to stand through on the fact that you need to always be, be mindful of the fact that he is God and worship him in spirit and in truth. And we never want to get to a place where our worship is hindered in any way. But not only, we can't afford not only to lose our convictions, but also we can't afford to lose our character. Our convictions is what we believe. Our character is what we are. And it's easy to lose your character with others, to get to the place where others no longer realize even who you are. See, some people live a double identity. They live one way at church and they live another way among their friends and among their peers. But may I remind you, wherever you go, if you claim Christianity, you are a child of God. And that means you're a representative of Christ. And what you say and what you do, it does more than represents this church. It represents Jesus Christ. Now I realize some people will look at those that are weak in the church and they'll say, they'll talk about those Christians and how horrible that they are. But the truth of the matter is, they'll overlook people that have been true to God. And I realize people lose their character very quickly. And by the way, once you get saved, that's when the battle begins. And it's very easy, very easy to do things, the smallest of things that can hinder our character. <laughs> I guess I'm the only imperfect person in this church tonight. Uh, I, I do pretty good until I drive. 
two or three things when I drive, I just can't stand. I cannot stand it. I just can't stand it. I can't stand to be on an interstate and you're behind a semi and the cars behind you are running up on your bumper, flashing their lights and blowing their horn like I could move a semi in front of me. And uh, sometimes it gets a little annoying. I, I can't stand to be coming down a two lane road and somebody coming in from a side street or a side road. And I don't know why, why do people do this? They can see you for a half a mile, but when you get a hundred feet away from them, they pull out in front of you. And you're right on their bumper, not meaning to be on their bumper, but I tell you, it'll bring the righteous indignation out of you. <laughs> Real quick. Real quick it will. Why will somebody go 30 mile an hour and then when you finally get to a place to pass them, you're going 75 and they're still beside of you. <laughs> or you can't pass them and then you get on a four lane highway and they, you don't see them anymore. They kick up dust. Now, why do I say that? Because I don't know about you, but uh, there's times that uh, I... You know, you can blow your horn more than one way. <laughs> Do you know that? Do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah. And uh, what's really bad is when they do it on the way to church. And then when you finally get around them, you give them that evil look, you know. And then they walk through the back door. And you got to preach to them. But it's easy to say certain things and do certain things that can mar our character to the place where that we lose the ability to be able to talk to individuals about certain things. I think oftentimes, and I've used it in this pulpit before, there was a man that had a, a renowned restaurant and when you go back into the kitchen, everything was immaculate and they had a system set up for the waiters coming and going. There were double doors and they would come in one set of double doors and they were always to go out the other other set of double doors and when they're going out those double doors on the way out they had a sign on those doors that the owner had placed on there and put his signature on it and he said remember now these are the people taking the food out to the tables he said remember my reputation is in your hands that's how God sends us out we're going into a world that's filled with evil and wickedness, but yet if we're not careful, we can let things overcome us until it will mar our character. You lose your character with some people and I'm telling you, they'll forgive you and they'll love you, but it won't be the same. You've got one shot with some people. You lose your character with somebody that's lost and you'll never have the opportunity to tell them about the Lord. So we have what we believe, we have what we are. But I think the last thing that we have to watch out for, we can never afford to lose our compassion. And that's what we feel. I think that's the biggest problem that I probably see traveling the country 
and the Lord family is here tonight. I know they go into a lot of different churches too. And one of the things that you see very quickly that's, that's leaving churches is compassion, genuine compassion for people. It's, it's leaving quickly. We forget what God did for us. And then we take for granted that we, we just come, we meet, we eat, we retreat, and we give no thought that there's others that they need to experience the same Savior that we've experienced. I preached in Kingston, Tennessee last night uh, in a meeting and drove back in today for the service and, and uh, I had a series of meetings there and, and I was privileged to sit, I sat on the front seat and across from me, uh, there was a man that I couldn't help but notice how, how blessed that he was through all the service. And uh, I, I mentioned to the pastor, I said, I, I don't remember seeing him before. I said, man, he just, uh, there's something about that guy that he just, he melts your heart. You, you know, he's just one of those kind of people that's not what he said, it's not what he did. It wasn't his actions. It was just something about him. Have you ever seen people like that? You mean the very first time you feel that way. And the uh, preacher kind of went like that when he got up uh, after the singers. He singled the gentleman out. The gentleman is the county commissioner, one of the county commissioners there in their county. And uh, he hasn't been saved that long. He had just gotten saved, hadn't been saved just a period of, a short period of time. And they found out after he got saved, he had liver disease. And the only hope that he had was to find a transplant. So everyone was praying for him to get this transplant. Well, the fall of last year, he got the transplant and he did wonderful with it. It was no time at all till he was back to church. And, and to look at him, you wouldn't tell that he's ever been sick. And he said, uh, he said, he called me up after the transplant. And he said, I'm having a struggle. And he thought, maybe it's just because I don't know much about a liver transplant. Maybe, maybe it's done things uh, to his body uh, physiologically. Maybe, you, you know, there's certain procedures you go through. Individuals go through depression. They go through, he didn't know anything about that. And he said, well, what's the problem? I, is there a problem with the transplant itself? No. He said, it's my emotions. And he said, well, maybe that's part of the hormone changes. And he said, has nothing to do with anything physical, Pastor. He said, well, what is it? And he said, I was so excited to get that transplant. And he said, I'm laying in bed when I'm healing up. And he said, it hits me like a ton of bricks. Somebody had to die for me to live. And he said, here's the problem, preacher. They won't tell me who it was. I can't thank their family. Now, later on, he said, if, they, if the family ever decides that they want to contact the recipient, they can write a letter and the recipient has the right to answer, not by their state laws and everything else. But he said, I may never know who that person was. But somebody had to die so that I could live. And I don't know who it is. You'd love the pastor there in the church. And he said, you may not know who had to die 
for you to live physically. But you know who had to die for you to live spiritually. And he said, all this is going to do is create a greater compassion in you when you hear of others that go through this situation, you'll have a greater compassion to pray for them. And you'll pray in a different way than what other people pray because compassion changes the way that you pray and it changes the way that you minister. And that's true. I have no doubt in my heart, no doubt whatsoever, that Jamie Baconhaster has compassion for souls. She contacted me the other day and said, one of our folks on Sunday, I believe it was, got a hold of them, said, uh, we've got a good friend, long story short, uh, a Vietnam veteran, if I remember correctly, because the family called me. Uh, as soon as you let me know you were going, they contacted me. I talked to them, said, Jamie's going over to see this friend. They try to help him out. Uh, he's never been... Uh, He's never been receptive to talk to anyone about the Lord. He's a Vietnam veteran and, and he lives in a small little place there. And, and they take him meals a couple times a day and, and they try to cut his grass, just help him out. They become a real friend. And, and they could talk to him about anything except the Lord. He didn't want to hear anything about the Lord, didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And, and he just sounded like, and I don't want to categorize the man in a terrible place because it's bad, you know, we're one thing before Christ were another thing after Christ. But he just, it just left him bitter. That's, that's it. Life left him bitter. And he didn't want to fool with anybody and didn't want, want much to do with anything. And habits had got a hold of him and it affected his lifestyle. He lived in a, lived in a little tiny place there. They gave directions and they went up, up the holler where he was living there. And, and uh, sitting there, raises a little wind and talks to Bruce was there. I think he maybe was in the car. Jamie was talking to him. Old hound dog out front in the front there. And uh, wasn't very receptive to start with. But see, Jamie's compassion did something to that hardened veteran. And in a little while, he decided he wanted to pray and get saved. So then the first thing that, that first thing that he did was he told Jamie, then told one of the friends that was there, Bruce, come up. I think he told you, Bruce. And on the way out, I tell you, this is Jamie. On the way out, that old hound dog there, she went over and patted the old hound dog on the head and said, by the way, you've got a new master now. Glory to God. That's exactly what the Lord does. We should never lose sight of the fact of what we were before Jesus came into our life and God had compassion on us to send somebody at the right time with the right message and changed our life. A little bit of compassion made all the difference for us and thank God we ought to have compassion for others when they need the Lord. Last night, such a sweet spirit in the service. The end of the invitation, before the invitation was given, altars were lined with dozens of people crying out to God. And before long, one, one handsome young man from the back come down to the front and 
knelt at the altar and been in church all of his life and not, not saved and didn't have assurance of salvation. And the preacher was praying with him and leading him to Christ and he was getting right with God. And, and another fellow, young man, uh, probably 21 or so, down on the other end of the altar and he was rededicating his life to the Lord. And one big old strapping man back in the back, young man, got my attention. And, and I, I just pleaded with the congregation. I said, you know, time's running out and you need to get right with God. And finally, he just told his parents, get out of the way, I'm going. And he came and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And they talked to him and he prayed some more. And the pastor said, thank you for being compassionate. Thank you for praying for him. He's got a struggle. He'd been going through months and months and months of conviction and couldn't forgive himself. And finally, in that moment of grace, he lifted up his eyes and he had a smile on his face and tears streaming down his face. And the pastor said, what do you have to say? And he said, I'm saved. I'm saved. He said, I never dreamed I'd get to say that. I'm saved. And folks were coming around and they were hugging his neck and they were rejoicing. But the thing that caught my attention, when I went by him and I gave him a hug, he wrapped his arms around me, picked me up, my feet was dangling. And he whispered in my ear and he said, preacher, thank you for caring enough about a soul to drive from Ohio and tell me that I could be saved. Hallelujah! You can be saved tonight. The Lord loves you and Jesus will save you. If we ever lose that, we've lost it all. Compassion. What we feel. What do you feel for others? I sense an urgency in our people's heart that they feel the need to tell their loved ones. If you strayed from God, you need to come back. If you haven't come to the Lord, you need to come. I wish I'd tell you that every story ends up that way, but it doesn't. Same day that one accepted, another one rejected, didn't they, Jamie? On the cross when Christ died, one thief accepted, one rejected. Our job is not saving them. Our job is caring and telling them they need forgiveness. Forgiveness.